as a heads up, there's some explicit language in this episode. Hi, Selma. Hi. My internet friend turned real life friend. I know. I'm so excited. And yeah, there's only levels up to go from here. So this is great. We're technically at the ground floor. I couldn't agree more. This is our, our first meeting outside of the DMs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is more than I can say about any guy. So, <laughs> so that's a great segue. What do you do? Uh, so surprisingly, I am a uh, stand-up comedian, but I actually like my bio is clinical engineer by day, stand-up comedian by night. So yeah, so that's actually, that's in a nutshell what I do. I love that you kind of, you know, made sure to add the cloudy part for the bio for parents and then for the millennial men who are checking you out, you put the cool part. I'm dead. Yeah. It's it's like, <laughs> this is for the parents, but then this is actually for you. It's like, Bubba, what, what does she do? Oh, she's a chem engineer. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the homies are like, I know I saw her on Instagram. But anyway, um, so let's talk about that. Where, where were you born? I was born in a suburb of Toronto called Mississauga, and my parents came to Toronto in the 70s. Like, my dad came here after university, and then my mom came. And then, yeah, so I, I was born and raised in the same house my whole entire life. Very, very sheltered, just the definition of in a bubble. Uh, and I only went to like Islamic schools my whole life. And then, yeah, and then I I started to make some big moves recently. And by big moves, I mean just emotionally. <laughs> not, I'm not on Netflix. Do not worry. Uh, like, for example, moving out uh, and then moving out to live on my own. And yeah, I think I think a lot has sort of come of it. And a lot has happened in my life to allow that to happen as well. Like it's like a, a two way street. Awesome. So we'll go into it. And like, before we do that, though, so my, my parents came in the 60s, my dad in the 60s, okay. my mom in the 70s. And I was just reading in this Newsweek article that everybody should read about like how Muslims are wildly influential now. It's the cover story for whatever issue is out September or October. And it was talking about how in the year 2000, there was like 1 million Muslims in America. I don't think it's North America, mm. but America. And now there's 3.4. And in my head, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like growing up, there weren't a lot of Muslims. And then after all these recent wars, there's right. tons of Muslims all over the place. And I feel like it's probably similar for you in Canada. Like those of us with families who have been here for 30, 40, 50 years, there, there's something different about that experience. Like, yeah, I don't know what it is. Right, right. Yeah, like, I mean, my experience is so different from my sisters who are 12 and 14 years older than me's experiences, like world of a difference. Because when they were growing up, when they were children, there were literally like maybe like five, six other Muslim families that they knew of or that were, there was only really one community, one Islamic school, one mosque, uh, at least in like the Mississauga region. And I don't know, like, I think a lot of the stories I hear from them are, were really toxic, like in, in the way, in the dealings people had with one another and in, in some of the stuff that they encountered and kind of traumatic, like for my mom too and stuff, but they didn't really have the luxury of being like, I'm going to drop these friends and go find other non-toxic, progressive thinking Muslim friends. <laughs> they just did not, that didn't exist. It was this or nothing. And my parents, after moving I would say like a few years after moving. And when I was seven years old, my dad became an imam. And so they kind of like made the decision to triple down on religion. And that became like their main, main identity. Hence the sheltered <laughs> bubble piece for me. And so so for them, it was really, really important to like maintain a social circle of those from the same faith. But un unfortunately, it was 
kind of detrimental uh, in other ways. But yeah, now the Muslim community is massive. I don't. I remember in my first year of university, I like made it a mission to smile at every single hijabi on <laughs> campus. No, I was like, I have to know who you are. I must be your friend. And then I went on internship in my third year, and I came back fourth year. I was like, who the hell are all, all these bitches? <laughs> I didn't know who any of them were. It's crazy, like exponentially grew, and that's kind of like the the Muslim community. I'm just like, who is anybody? Who is everybody? And you know how like the age range of like 20 like early 20s is the one that really matters or like they're in the front seat i'm like bro i don't know anybody who's 20 like maybe my niece <laughs> that's it <laughs> you know I, I literally like my husband whenever he's like oh how do you know so and so i'm like no you don't get it like everybody knows us like we know everybody and i'm realizing as the years pass that's just not true right. like growing up that was true we knew people in like the orange county mosque and the la mosque and yada 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 and now i'm like mostly irrelevant and i'm like that's probably good right like we want our community to grow right but it, it is very different like it is foundationally different yeah it's so and and you really see the gap when you go on the apps that like the younger folks use like like twitter or TikTok and like there's just so many people on there and I'm like and those people are the ones who are actually even like out of their shell like those people are even a small number but there's so many of them like you know what I mean not me a TikTok influencer pretending like I don't spend no time on TikTok because I'm pretty 40 <laughs> not not me oh my god well TikTok is amazing I feel like honestly I hate that I actually have to consider like the quote of like staying, not even staying young, but just like staying up oh, to date. Be relevant. Yeah. yeah. Bet. Being relevant. And it's like, and it's like, you kind of have to just follow the youth and see what they're <laughs> doing. You can't stay on Facebook. You cannot. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. But so, so back to the story, you grew up in Canada. How many siblings? Um, so we're five all together and I am the youngest of five. It's funny. I, I'm one of six. My mom also started an Islamic school. She wasn't a sheikh by any oh. means, but she started in Islamic school. And so I think it has to do again with just like the families that have been rooted here for a while and right. the parents finding identity. Right. But anyway, so you grow up, I'm taking it, you're either in the middle or you're probably the last, right? I am the, yes, I'm the, I'm the youngest of five. And I truly, truly, truly believe in uh, youngest child privilege. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. I am a hundred percent serious. Your parents get, first of all, sick and tired. Parent, I have a second child, and I'm like, do what you want. You yeah. want ice cream for breakfast? You're one, <laughs> enjoy it exactly. You're like, you and you also realize, like, the things that you made such a big deal about were not actually that big a deal with like with your older kids. You realize that with the younger ones, right? And so, and then, yeah, it's just like tired and also picking your battles and a lot of other things. So, for because of that, I feel like I get away with murder in comparison to my siblings, and yeah, and so. I, I, I had like a relatively really sheltered upbringing up until I would say like a few years ago. So I was like really, really, really judgmental. And like I, I was literally a high ranking member of the Haram police. I, I was like I was a colonel. <laughs> I was the, yeah, I was literally the chair. I was the highest in rank uh, of the Haram police. I judged everybody like it was an Olympic sport. I actually like. I think at one point I like told, I, I can't even remember. No, like I, I just, okay. I'll, I'll tell you this later when, <laughs> when we get to talking about like me right now about how someone in high school actually reached out to me and was like saying how they 
are seeing who I am right now and it's so different than who I was in high school and they feel kind of like it's hypocrisy and like I've changed a lot and how can they trust who I am right now and I'm like honestly I totally understand that but like also I was 16 you know what I'm saying yeah yeah also I'm not on the market for friends so thanks we're good here Right, right. But yeah. And then, you know, fast forward a few years later, uh, I have people from my high school messaging me (laughs) being like, you are a hypocrite. Like, who are you? And even like my closest friends, like even even friends that I'm still in touch with from high school or just close friends of mine from undergrad and university are, you know, are like, wow, it's wild to see you changing. And, And one of my friends, from university actually like two days ago was like okay but I remember in university in like third year when so-and-so took her hijab off and you like freaked the fuck out and you acted like someone was like pulling the world from underneath your feet and you were like I'm gonna go talk to her husband blah 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 and I was like yeah man (laughs) and now that same girl is like helping me through it right now so it's pretty wild. Yes, the irony. I feel like we go through these journeys in life. And I mean, also, I I can only imagine that you put so one thing that you didn't mention, but you kind of sprinkled into the story is throughout this journey, more recently, you have made this decision to take your hijab off as a public figure and a comic and so on and so forth. Right. Um, Definitely not the first, definitely not the last. But I've noticed at least as somebody who has been in America my whole life, has also worn hijab for a long time, honestly. Right. But the kind of seasons and the temperature and the climate around taking off hijab is different. There was a time in my life when nobody took it off, like mm. literally nobody and anybody who did just took a left turn and did not want to be a part of the community because they were so ostracized. Right. And, and now there's a lot more fluidity to the concept it's just a bit of a cultural observation that's it nothing more right so I mean what I'm saying ultimately is culturally I think the way that we have dealt with it as a community has changed and that's probably happened a bit more with assimilation right early on there was probably a bit of hold on to this identity hold on to how things are in their like quote-unquote purest form so we can maintain a community and I think as we've become more integrated in to this country in Canada like things have changed, right? Like maybe the only way to represent yourself is not just hijab. And so if people choose to make another decision, the rest of the community doesn't take it so personally the way everybody did 10, 15 years ago. Right, 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 right. I mean, yeah, for sure. And I think also people are realizing like, is it really to do with our identity as marginalized folks? Or is it more so to do with like, a little bit of control. I don't know. But yeah, like the discourse around hijab is very interesting because I still feel like it's very new, even though it's not new at all, like with people removing it. But at least in my experience, of course, it's very new. Like I I wore the hijab when I was seven years old and I wore it for 22 years. And I just made the decision, very, very fresh decision that I I won't be wearing it anymore, which was so difficult for me to make because I, I, I truly feared ostracization and also like loss of credibility like for some reason mm-hmm. the second you're not wearing hijab anymore nobody wants to hear what you have to say and hijab is really wild because it's not it's not like race right like you can't just wake up one day and be like I'm not gonna be brown anymore but it's also not something insignificant like it's not something that that you can remove from your life and I think a friend of mine had a comparison which was people for example who were heavier for the majority of their lives and then they lost a significant amount of weight and then they might look different now but their their perception or their experience will always still include who they were before what they looked like before like you can't just erase that from their Mm -hmm. life right so it's kind of similar I personally 
struggle a little bit with with talking about it or the discourse around it because it's very new and also taboo it's very taboo it is yeah it is and and it's hard to talk about it without a lot of people who who still partake in hijab and stuff uh, to be offended by it at least that i've seen or from my followers and stuff but now but it's getting a lot better like like for every one unpleasant interaction i have there's like at least 50 something extremely pleasant warm encouraging interactions that i have and 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 they're not encouraging as in make either decision they're just encouraging as in like you are safe and you could do whatever you Mm. want you know what i mean right right and you know what's interesting about i think as somebody commenting from the outside who has no right to say anything but just an observation i think that historically too the way that people do is it it can feel embarrassing like you said it could feel taboo so maybe they'll just disappear for a while and come back and be like hey i made this grand life decision right but you've been really interesting because i've had a lot of friends take off hijab and you're going through the journey publicly where you're like some days i wear it some days i don't like i'm just figuring this out right that's been really fascinating because you haven't felt the need to put a front up to be like take it or leave it this is who i am it's like yeah there's a bit of that but also this is a transitional period right 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 right. yeah and i also feel i think it's safer to to close up and not disclose the not even the reasoning but just like kind of the details of your personal experience and your personal decision but i personally in the past did a little bit feel like shut out like like you know and and people also start to develop this entitlement online like they think they're like well if i'm gonna see what you ordered for breakfast why am i not allowed to know about this major change in your brand when i followed you based on a completely different followers yeah exactly they kind of feel a little bit like you owe them and i i'm not i'm not saying that i i do owe them anything but i am saying like it's a, a little bit in the nature of the relationship that i have created with the the online audience that I do kind of share a lot of things with them with that being said I try not to do it unless I'm ready so there's a lot of there's there's like a lot that I do want to say and that I do want to talk about but I'm also scared because I'm a little vulnerable right now so I'll I'll probably wait it out like a couple of months or more until I'm not that like as fragile and then I I probably will share it's it's so in my nature to share to the point where it's detrimental (laughs) like I think I overshare too much which is obviously a personality thing and you know a coping mechanism thing whatever but yeah like like I I think for for that reason it's a little bit different because other people went for the Mm self-preservation defense and self-preservation and yeah and did not disclose anything and just went on Mm -hmm. with their life and moved on which I kind of kind of think a little bit might hurt you more even though even though the people who want to be awful to you don't want to hear anything like right you can you can explain yourself till the end of time and they will actually use that more against you but yeah but like I feel more comfortable explaining myself on Instagram for example than I would on TikTok because less people know me on TikTok even though I have more followers there and so they're a lot meaner <laughs> but yeah. whereas Instagram, I feel like I kind of have a little bit more of a relationship with with them, and so they're they're nicer to me, and they're more likely to receive, and they're like a, a an older uh, audience, I think. Yeah, you've created a community, but also like I don't know, I think that if you look at also some of the folks who were big bloggers and took it off, like Asia or Dina Tokyo, like right. I see their dia- their comments sometimes, and people are still like, "You look so much better with her job." I'm like, "Bro, like come on, keep it moving, like." Let the girl live. She made a decision that has nothing to do with you. So I think the community could be harsh, but also like I'm open about this because 
hijab, frankly, has somehow within some communities become this like holier than thou. We never do wrong. Right. You have to kind of be elevated to get there. Like I almost took it off twice, literally almost took it off twice. And I'm open about it. Right. right. And like the first time my brother gave me a good argument. I was like, I'm gonna chew on that. The second time my mom was diagnosed with cancer the next day. So I was like, let's not do this. I was like, let me, right. let me just kind of, you know, try to try to keep a God in my court for now. Like, I'm not going to, I don't right. want to really move things around right now. It's kind of, I was just too traumatized, frankly. And right. like your right. mom going through cancer and, you know, of course. mastectomy and radiation and yada, yada, yada. It just wasn't top of mind. But the point is, is like, I distinctly remember those moments of feeling the fear of taking it off, wondering, like doing the calculation, what will people think? What right. would it do? And then, and then like throughout the journey, I don't have that struggle at this moment, but I, so I know what it took to get here. You know what I right, mean? And right, like, right, right. I, I may very well just go right back to that place. The human mind is a fragile thing. Right. And we evolve in different ways, but this is all to say like the journey, I feel like people try to present the journey as something very different from what it is. And it's a right. relationship with your husband, with your mom, with your sister, you fight. There are days you love them. There right. are days you hate them, right? right? right like right. it's a relationship and it, it can, you know, go on or end in different ways. And I've, I've appreciated the openness that you have shown. Cause I think that there's almost like an unkept, a hidden rule to just like shut up and be perfect. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can go into it more if you don't mind. Like I, uh, cause I also want to, I don't want to like overstep or, or share anything that is not welcome or that or that we didn't oh, anticipate. No. <laughs> I, I am a-okay with it. I, I brought you on the show because I well, we'll definitely talk about how you became a comic, what that takes, right, why you're right. not a chemical engineer. Right. But I think this is important. Like this is a relevant discussion. The majority of listeners to the show, not all are women. The majority are between 24 and 35. Right. Not all of them. But that means a lot of people have either encountered folks who have taken off her job or maybe have experienced it or have had their own struggles or haven't. Right. And need to kind of understand other perspectives. And people just, we don't talk about it, I right? Know, like, I know. We don't. I know. Yeah. Well, first of all, the comments that you mentioned on Asia and Dina's posts is so funny. Okay. The top four comments that I got were, uh, the first one was like, oh my God, we lost one for the team, which I totally understand. Like I used to have the same exactly. Like, I can't even be mad because anything people say to me, I'm like, I know I, I truly get it. And the, the second comment was like, you used to look so much better in the hijab. Now you're just so a basic weird. bitch. So yeah. Weird. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. The third one is like, she just, she had attention and now she wants more attention. And then the fourth one was just like, it's what all influencers do. Like they get really big and then they take it off and whatever and then they want more and I was like oh, I'm really flattered that you think I'm really big <laughs> because I'm truly not but you know but yeah like I know it you know what's very interesting I personally never really struggled with the hijab I, I don't know if that's really wild or pretentious to say like I had one moment when I was so I put it on when I was seven and I think at one moment when I was like 10 or something I was playing outside with some girls and it was really really hot and I remember just being like I went to my mom I was like mom can I take it off she's like no sorry you already made a decision and I'm like shit <laughs> worst decision to make in this <laughs> weather <laughs> so that that's a probably honestly one of the only times I struggled with the hijab and I'll tell you why I don't think I struggled with it because most people when they talk about struggling with the hijab aside from like identity and wanting to be anonymous that part I, I do relate to or wanting to feel like 
the wind on your skin and hair and whatever, that part I kind of relate to. Like I, I really love that feeling and I would sit on my rooftop at night so I could get that um, like in my parents' home. But most of the time when people talk about struggles with the hijab, what I've noticed is that it's related to vanity. And, yeah. and I never experienced that because I'm going to be honest with you. Well, I thought I looked much better with the hijab. Uh, and I probably still kind of think that like, because I weren't for so long and I like perfected how to style it. And I, at least in, in my mind, people, you're going to look at my pictures and be like, um, <laughs> perfected. That's an overstatement. No, but like, I thought I had it down. And like, I, in my mind, I know what my head size to body ratio is. And that's important because I'm not skinny at all. And so for me, like, you know, if, if, if my head's a certain size, then it'll take, it'll make my body seem smaller <laughs> in comparison, whatever. And I also used to make jokes with my friend. I was like, I only have one strand of hair. Like my hair is not like thick, like a lot of other girls' hairs or, or whatever. And, and so in my mind, I, I, I actually was very insecure from an appearance perspective mm -hmm. to not wear the hijab because it's also like, this is it. If you're not wearing the hijab, this is it. Now people know, and they will never have to wonder you know mm. and so for me when people talk about struggling with the hijab and the, it's a it's a relationship and stuff I'm like that seems so foreign to me because in my mind I was like this is safety this is belonging this is community this is family this is credibility this is righteousness to be honest self-righteousness which was important to me and my it and also like I, I think through my own work and, and through therapy, like, and through my own exploration, I, I had come to the decision. I, I'm going to say I made the decision in April where I truly realized that I was not wearing the hijab for me. Like it was for the community was for my family. It was for belonging. It was, yeah, for credibility, everything that I mentioned basically. And it was also to be a minority and to fight for the cause. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Because you're very much white passing for those who also haven't seen you, I would argue, right? Okay. Yeah, I, I get I get <laughs> ambiguous. I get like uh, Latina. A lot of people think I'm like Latina. Yeah, I, I, I feel like when I, but when I wear the hijab, obviously I'm visibly a Muslim. And yeah, and like, you know, you, you face a lot of microaggressions, you face a lot of racism growing up. And then, and honestly, it's, it's the racism that also makes you hold on to it more. Like, they're like, you're not allowed to wear the hijab. I'm like, well, I'm going to wear it even harder, France. Like, do you know what I mean? And, and so I realized like, it was also like, there was a little bit of a trauma bond that I had developed with it. And all of these reasons were not for me. Like they were, they were all external. And the day that I made the decision to take the hijab off was like one of the hardest days of my life because I was like, fuck, this is going to be so hard. Uh, like this is my brand. This is everything I talk about on stage. Who am I? Who am I past mm. the hijab? I didn't know. I honestly, it was the same feeling that I got when when I finally saw that a guy was toxic and like I have to end it it's like we could keep this going but like I know what needs to be done you know what I mean and I and I eased myself into it like I initially would would take it off when people came over or if I went over to their places and then it was like okay let uh, I'll if we go for a walk at night or something I won't wear it and then it was on the weekends and then it was like okay then I got to a point where I was like I'm not I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Like I usually I'm very open and I know a lot of people and I see a lot of people. So I told my parents before any of this because I didn't want them to hear it from anybody else. And it's obviously very devastating for them. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of been like 
my experience with it and and you know like people people have different reactions it's very interesting i kind of knew that i i knew that there was going to be a lot of haram police that were really upset and and would put me in a box and stuff like that but i did not anticipate people that i grew up with that knew me whose weddings i went to just hating me that part hmm. that part i i did not anticipate so it it shocked me a little bit but yeah like i don't i don't know i think people took offense to me talking about it on stage making it a joke but that, that's my literal defense mechanism do you think i have the fucking capability <laughs> to like process anything you know without turning it into a joke if it's overwhelming if it's overwhelming i will turn it into a joke for sure even sometimes like i'm i'm obviously working on it but even sometimes when i want to like confront guys i will like roast them in a funny way or like write like some a funny like if they asked me to do something like for example this dude recently asked me to write a bio for him for a feature and I wrote him like the the rudest meanest (laughs) passive aggressive bio ever (laughs) instead of me just like saying it to him like an adult but yeah like so people took offense to that as in like they took it personally like I was attacking them I was like no no this is literally my limitations as a human being and then and yeah and I feel like It's really interesting because on TikTok, I was getting attacked nonstop. People were like, oh, my God, how could you post this video and make Islam, like ruin the reputation of Islam in front of this audience? And I was like, there are 20 people in this audience. How do you think it looks for the 80,000 people or whatever who have watched this video and are seeing the hundreds of hate comments that my community is leaving me. Like, which one is worse for, if Mm. you know, let's talk numbers, let's talk PR for the religion. Like, I feel like this is much worse. Yeah, and it's just, and then then I was like scrolling through TikTok and I saw this like TikTok of this um, Muslim couple who are white with blue eyes and, and they're like doing a pillow fight and it's like who is the first to get angry who is the first, who doesn't wash their dishes and uh that video had like 500,000 views and like 100,000 likes and I was like this is what the Muslim community wants uh, they want me to have one brain cell uh they want me to have a man and they want me to be white and they never want me to open my mouth okay because the second you open your mouth and you take agency for your decision do you know how many people told me to take the hijab off in private I was like, how? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually, I've had people too. I've had, before I was married, there were dudes who were like, I knew were into me because it was just clear. Mm-hmm. And their moms would be like, so would you ever take your hijab off for my son? I'm like, are you drunk? Oh my like, God. Do you, like, are you crazy? If I, if I were to take her job off, it would not be for your son. Let's be clear here. Exactly. Oh my God. That, that to me was crazy. That was truly crazy. But you know, I, I think it's a journey. I think really the message here and the reality is, is like, I think you and I had inverse journeys when I was younger. I right. think I had insecurities. Now I'm in a place where I'm like, yep, cool with it. This is who I am. This is life. You are in a place where you're like, nope, not what I want to do. And right. like that, that is the world that is like life that is humanity there is no perfect we are all members of a very 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 large faith yeah and you know we can't we can't make this a, the barometer for trust or excellence or whatever it may be i think it's multi-dimensional and we right. cannot kind of make women so single dimensional of course i mean the hijab is such a private personal sacred decision and uh, but but it's the most public thing right like ironically yeah and yeah and that's the problem with in my opinion with with the hijab and taking it off and putting it on because the second you do anything it's like sirens and people think that they have full 
full rights to just comment or pry into your private affairs. It is funny. Yeah. Imagine if like every time a dude was in Speedos, people just like shamed him. Yeah. I'm like, but technically that is your hijab. Like you should be covering, you know, that like thigh area. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm learning a lot from it. And it's unfortunate, like even I know Dina Tokyo, when she put her video up, uh, people were sending her like death threats. And I'm like, oh, gosh, what? In what life do you think in the eyes of God, it's better to like threaten a person with death than for them to take the hijab off? Like, yeah, it's it's truly wild. But yeah. I'm hopeful that there are more people who are like seeing things for how they are and and yeah just really defending like a, a woman's choice to her own independent you know thinking or her own, her own independent decisions you know right right it's just yeah exactly well so how does one become a comic okay <laughs> what was your journey let me actually start with where I found you but yeah what are you gonna say <laughs> Okay, yeah. No segue right into how to become a comic. So I was going to say that I actually found you on Instagram on my like for you page or what I guess that's not what it's called on Instagram. The following. Yes, yes. It was so funny. You were talking about a guy, which again is another taboo subject. Like so many Muslims talk. I won't even say the word date, God forbid. Mm. And nobody talks about it, but it's it's actually so funny. Like the dynamics are so funny, especially when they're in private right. and you'll like learn about people and you know, she was talking to that guy and she was talking to that guy. Did they know they were talking to the same guy? Like, and so hearing you kind of go through your story was so funny for me because I'm like, yes, why? This is what everybody goes through, but nobody says. Oh my God. Yeah. Literally so true. I, uh, I think that was one of the first videos I put up on Instagram, which was about this dude that I was like talking to and then I found out later he was like talking to three other people and <laughs> gee and, and and honestly I felt so low when I was posting that video like I was like oh my god this is so embarrassing like why am I humiliating myself like this and then the overwhelming response and the way that like every Muslim girl ever found it I think and was like <laughs> just really related to it with her whole being and I was like what the hell <laughs> This is, you outed them. Yeah, this is, but it's just so wild, like that that women actually feel shame for being mistreated, you know, right, or lied to and stuff. So yeah, so I, I think from there, like I've started to post a lot. But yeah, okay. So how to become a comic? So before I ever posted the videos, I had been doing stand up comedy, and so. I like went about my life in in kind of like the traditional way that was expected of me. I went into engineering. I actually wanted to go into a program called health science, which has like a 90% acceptance rate into med school. Uh, But I didn't get into that. And my dad was like, just do engineering and then apply for med school. Worst case scenario, you're a failure and you're an engineer. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks. That. <laughs> so I, I went into engineering and then after I finished, I, I actually did five years plus an internship because I wanted to take a bunch of like extra science courses. After I finished my undergrad, I started taking the MCAT and studying for the, for the MCAT. And then I started my master's and like, oh my gosh, I feel like I was at the lowest point uh, of my life emotionally because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And like, I, I, I had a, I had a very bad binge eating disorder at that time of my life. And so I was kind of like on this self-destructing train. And then I don't know what it was. Every time I tried to study for the MCAT, like I had like physiological reactions to it. Like I just didn't want to do it. I would start binge eating. I, I just, I couldn't sit still. I hated it. Like 
it was such a punishment for me, even though I was the one who was choosing it and inflicting it upon myself. And then my sister sent me like an article once that said like a lot of millennials are going into med school or they're choosing the medicine route because it's like a safety blanket. Like it's it's a safe career choice and it's prestigious and and it's like um a good like it's it's like a healthy salary or, or you know um to sustain you and whatever uh and so that I kind of was like uh yeah I feel like to a large extent that's what I'm doing it for and I knew this because I I would just tell myself like if I have two like I, I'll just be a doctor in this life and then and then when I get a second life like I'll start over and I'll I'll do something like in acting or in Hollywood or whatever and I was like, okay, it really doesn't work that way though. But the real catalyst was one around that time I had gotten like an insane proposal and I went on a blind date with this dude, with my father. Uh, and oh my gosh, the guy was just like wild. He was telling me about how his one condition for marriage is that he doesn't want his wife to wear any makeup outside of the house. And then it turns out that like at the end he, that he worked for Sephora it was insane. And yeah, no, it, the whole thing was just a, a huge joke. But I was so traumatized when I was going through it. And usually when I feel like my life is out of control and I feel like things are just overwhelming, I, I turn to comedy. Like I, I turn the stories into, into jokes and I just make them funny when I'm telling them. And so at the time, my sister was married to the first cousin of Zarka Nawaz. And if you don't know Zarka Nawaz, she is a writer and producer of the show called Little Mosque on the Prairie, which aired on uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Channel for six years, I'm going to say. So she was kind of a big deal in the Canadian Muslim community because she actually successfully made it with the whites. <laughs> and so she she was at my sister's house and I told her, I was like, I was like, oh, um... I have this dream that like one day I'm gonna like become the first like Muslim Mindy Kaling of Hollywood. And then she was like, um, I think you should just stick to engineering. Oh, whoa. And I was like, oh, ouch. I was like, okay, well, whatever. I was like, I just got rejected real early. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna stop trying to impress her. And we're just gonna, I'm just gonna be, be myself. And so then, then my sister's there. My sister's so funny too. So we're like both telling her the story about this dude, the Sephora man who banned me from wearing makeup. And we're like, I'm saying a joke. My sister's adding a joke and we're going on and on and on and on. And she's just sitting there like observing us. Then the next day she was like, I think you should go into comedy. I was like, me? I was like, I was like, what are you going to do? You're going to cast me in a movie? Like, how does this work? And then she's like, no, I think you should do stand-up, do stand-up comedy. I was like, I wouldn't wish stand-up upon my enemy. Like, why would I do that? Why would I do that to myself? And she's like, trust me. Like, if you do stand-up, then you'll establish yourself as an individual funny person. And then it'll open up a lot of doors and opportunities for you. And then I was like, okay, I'll think about it. Honestly, I didn't do anything for months. For months, I was terrified and she came back in town and she was like, she made me talk to a comedian. We were both on an event and she like threw me at the stand-up comedian there. She was like, talk to her, help her. And then uh, a few months later, she comes back into town and she's like, did you do it? I was like, no. She's like, you know what? Like, you know what your problem is? You are talented, but you have no grit. She's like, you have no grit. And it's, you know, people like you won't succeed, but people like me will because we have the grit to like overcompensate <laughs> for like the mm. lack of talent. And I was like, okay, I was like, you know, and I really needed this tough love to like get out there. So she, yeah, it's effective. Yeah. And so then I, I just got up and I, first of all, I was like, what even live stand up that happens? Like I Googled it. And then I saw like a list of 
open mics or, or shows in Toronto. And then I was like, okay, like which one? There's so many. So then I searched some on Instagram and I saw this one place that looked really nice and not dingy. And I was like, okay, let me go check that out. So I went with my friend in person. It was me, her and her brother. And then we had to leave at like 10 PM. Cause we had a curfew. We're like, we gotta go. And then I go to the guy and I was like, I was like, um, do you, can I perform comedy here? He's like, have you ever done comedy before? I was like, no. He's like, okay fine he's like messaged me on facebook i was like okay so then i messaged him and then we chose a day like i think it was a month or three weeks uh from that point which was good because it gave me enough time to work on something but not too much time that i would like forget about it or get lazy and then yeah on the, uh, the day that i went to check out that show there was only literally three people in the audience us <laughs> and then the day that i performed there was like six I was like, this is insane. Why are there so many people here? I brought like six of my closest friends. Well, like I would say four of my closest friends, but two friends of mine who are really, really into comedy. So they also came to watch. And yeah, and it was working. People were laughing. Honestly, I did not account for the audience to be laughing in my set. So I kept talking over them <laughs> and they really liked it. Like I, I just sat down and I told myself like, okay, because keep in mind, like I've only ever really been around Muslims. So in my mind, I was like, okay, like what's something I would say to a room full of like white people if I wanted to tell them about who I am and my family and, and whatever. And so, yeah, like my first set was mostly about my dad, <laughs> which he was not happy about. And then, and then, yeah, then so, some of the comics there pulled me to the side and they're like, you're really good. Like keep doing it. Uh, you just gotta like, you know, give the audience like a chance to laugh, whatever, whatever. And then, and then, yeah, and then I, I, I the, the Muslim community was so into it. After that, I took a course at Second City Toronto, like a stand-up course. It was like a seven-week course where they push you to write and try out bits in front of um, your classmates and they kind of give you tips or tags and stuff. And then, then we had like a final show at the end of those seven weeks and we had like 100, no, maybe 200 something people come out to the show. And then my friend took a video of that and then it kind of started to go viral and I got interviewed on like three or four major um, news channels here or like newspapers and then I would always bring a crowd so I would like literally every show I was performing I would have like 30 people come out and so people started to book me because of that like I wasn't really good in the beginning <laughs> um and then eventually like I just started to get booked on more and more shows like I started to get introduced to more and more producers yeah and then it just kind of like blew up from there and now I like watched my first ever tapes so I'm like embarrassing in the beginning I was like I am a god and now I'm watching it I'm like oh my Please, who allowed her? <laughs> <laughs> that is, I didn't realize that was your story. That's super cool. And actually, I was um, on Zarka's Wikipedia page while you were talking about her in the mm -hmm. story. And there's one line that says, in 2020, Zarka started stand-up comedy. So you may have inspired her. Oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. She started stand-up last year, and she messaged me for advice. I was like, wow, we have come full circle. <laughs> full circle. Full circle. And so now you're working, like nine to five you are an engineer you are doing chemically things and then you're yes. a comic at night like do you do you want to keep it that way are you aspiring to make comedy your like career career yes so in the beginning I don't know what it was if it's okay my mom is like really 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 elitist and I feel like I like kind of through osmosis 
like got a little bit of that or just it's maybe her voice in my head but in the beginning I like refused to call myself a comedian because I was like ah, no 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 come on like it's a joke like I'm a it's, funny engineer yeah yeah like it's <laughs> like I'm just it's too much when you actually call yourself that but then a lot of like 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 hosts and producers would call me that and then other people started calling me that and I was like oh I okay fine I guess I am but in the beginning I was like no 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 like I remember when I was if I ever talked to any like guys especially they were more conservative in the beginning I was like yeah uh no no comedy is just like for fun like never I'm for sure engineering whatever whatever um even though I was still like actively working towards like like I didn't have any plans ever of like me shutting down my comedy or anything like that but now I'm like oh without a doubt I will literally tell my coworkers. I will literally tell my manager like I cannot wait until I leave you I cannot wait <laughs> like I don't say that they're so they're so nice and they're so supportive they're so awesome like I would only be able to actually do my engineering job with like such a supportive team um who knows like how big a deal a lot of the gigs that I get are like when I say I got I remember I got booked for like just for laughs northwest like a week before and so I had to tell my boss like I was gonna take a day off or whatever and he was like oh my god just for laughs it's such a big deal of course like we'll do them because I didn't have vacation days he was like we'll do the most for you like we'll figure it out we'll let you work like extra hours whatever whatever so yeah like it's pretty wild, but um, I, I think right now, like for sure, I know 100%. Like as soon as I'm able to get a, a gig that allows me to live off of just that salary, then I will completely transition into engineering and likely move to the States. I don't know where though, either New York or LA, like it, it would be one of those two. And how does that work? Like, do you have an agent? Do you book your own gigs? Are you just like spamming people? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I got an agent two years ago in, it's literally a romantic fairy tale. I, I, okay. So first, so I guess you start doing shows and then you're like, what now? Right? Like, how can I get recognized on a, on a more global level? And then the advice that I got from some other comics were like, go to festivals, try to get into festivals. So you have to apply to festivals. Usually the application fees, maybe like 35, 40 bucks, which is like kind of significant if you're just doing comedy. But for me, it was okay. But then the problem is the festivals that you get into usually you don't get paid for them and they don't put you up or bring you out or anything. So you would have to travel there, uh, pay for your own ticket, pay for accommodations and all of that. So it's like a little bit pricey, a little bit difficult. But yeah, so like I went to like the Boston Women in Comedy Festival and I went to the Chicago Women Funny Fest and like a few others. And I I got into those ones. I applied and I got into those ones. But then I remember like I went to the New York Arab American Comedy Festival in 2018. I was not booked on it, but I emailed Maisun Zayed, who's the producer, and also a friend of mine who was on it before, uh, sent an email like recommending me. So that was for sure a huge help. But then I remember emailing Maisun and being like, oh, here's a tape. Here's So if you record your sets and you have a good recording, you put it up on YouTube as unlinked or whatever, and or unlisted, sorry. And then you could send that to people if you want to showcase yourself if they even watch it you know what I mean that's another big thing like sometimes they won't even watch it but I I had that tape and I sent it and I was like and then I was like I'm coming to the festival anyways to watch I bought tickets for every single day I'm gonna be there like I literally <laughs> literally like hustled and then as soon as I landed on the Friday she was like okay fine you can have a spot tomorrow on Saturday for five minutes which is really short um but it's also standard so then I was like okay everybody else is doing like 10 minutes so then I get I, I, I watched the festival Friday night and then on Saturday I introduced myself, I think. And then on Saturday I went up and I performed and then she was like, 
everyone was like, you're amazing. And that's where I met Rami, like Rami Youssef and a, a bunch of other comics like Dave Merhej, uh, Paul Aliyah and them. And then afterwards I left and I was like, oh my God, this was so amazing. And then I got an email from them saying, okay, come again tomorrow. Like do another spot. I was like, wow. yes. Yeah, I was so happy. And then like, honestly, it, a huge chance it would not have happened. But like, I just wanted to try. And then it worked out. And I made so many connections from that festival that still like till this day, I talked to. And then basically, like, I went to the Boston Women in Comedy Festival the first year. And I met, there was a workshop that this woman was giving who works in industry. She books for like Stephen Colbert and stuff. And she was teaching us how to make like a five minute TV set. And she gave us her email and she said, once you guys have a set, send it to me and I'll look it over, whatever, whatever. And I was like, I wrote it in my, in my diary, like, oh, contact Jessica, whatever, whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my dream. But I never had any tape that I felt was good enough to send to her. And then I finally like, uh, then the year following, they put me on bigger shows because they had already known me from the first year. So they put me on like bigger theater shows. And then as soon as I got off stage, I got a message from her on Instagram saying that was an, an amazing performance, like send me your tape. And then she talked, I went up to her after the show and she's like, you're amazing. Like, are you repped by anyone? I was like, no, I don't have any reps. I don't have any agents. I'm just, I'm just all alone in Toronto. And then she was like, okay, like send me your information, whatever, whatever. And send me the tape. And then she told me to come out to LA and I went out to LA and we, she put me on like a bunch of shows and introduced me to a lot of people. And then, yeah, after that, she became my manager. And then she introduced me to an agency in LA uh, they're they're by coastal though. I think they have a New York branch. And then yeah, I I met my agent and I my now agent and I signed with them. And then this year with like COVID and my agent was on mat leave for a bit, but she actually just got back this week. I told them I was like, okay, I think I want to expand the team a little so and get a Canadian agent. So I also signed with a an agency here in Toronto. Yeah, so I have a team. So they're kind of like doing everything, but. Immediately after I got my first agent, we started working on my visa. So like I hired a lawyer and and then I got my visa like literally January 2020. <laughs> and then the freaking <laughs> I went I, Panorama. I know. I went to San Francisco. I got a San Francisco and LA trip in there and then it was and then that's it. And then it was, yeah. But then I I just went to New York like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. That's so. good. And then it was 2022 is pretty much how the story goes. Literally, literally. it ex- My visa expires January 2023. So like we're going to need to jam pack next year. Yeah, girl. With a lot of a lot of states. <laughs> I'm just basically going to be there. <laughs> well, we look forward to it. We look forward to it. And, and Selma, I, I, um, I know I promised only an hour of your time. I think we've probably been talking for longer because I, like I said, this is kind of just like our first coffee date, effectively. Totally. But but for, for those who want to follow your journey, where would people find you? Okay, first and foremost, uh, Instagram at Selma, S-A-L-M-A dot Hindi, H-I-N-D-Y. It's the, it's the Selma right under high okay you can't <laughs> you can't miss it uh, um actually a close friend of mine was is an actor and he acted on a movie with Selma Hayek and I tell him all the time I'm like which cinema do you like more uh it is a constant fight that him and I have but anyways um yeah and same with TikTok it's cinema.hindi also you can find me on YouTube Facebook uh do not follow me on Twitter Twitter is my personal diary so do not follow me there. But yes. All right. I'll make sure to link all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with me. I know that a lot of it was vulnerable too. And I appreciate that. 
And it was such a pleasure, Salma. Thank you. This was amazing.